Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Faith Ryan. And I'm Amy Kluber. For the federal government, accelerating the development and dissemination of new biotechnology is a high-level area of interest for solving the most pressing public health challenges, such as COVID-19. The National Institutes of Health, in particular, leads the scientific discovery of almost any area of health research you can think of, with advancements in technology driving many, many breakthroughs. And one area that could support accelerating these breakthroughs even more is artificial intelligence. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Baru Shabastari from the NIH's National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering to talk more about this subject, biotechnology applications and tools using AI. Thanks for joining us. Before we dive in, you may recall my interview with NIBIB's director, Bruce Tromberg. That was early in season three on GovCast, our sister show. If you haven't heard it, I recommend you check it out. I actually traveled to the center and learned about the organization and the value innovative technologies bring in biomedical imaging. For this episode, though, Shabastari provides an even more in-depth look at innovation in the organization. You'll hear a lot about the clinical applications of this technology, what it could mean for providers and patients, and also, interestingly, how it applies now during this pandemic. Then, toward the end of this episode, you'll hear more about the concept of a digital twin in biomedical imaging. This concept complements certain health applications and health discoveries, like plastic surgeries. It's very fascinating. So stick with us. You're in for a treat. Dr. Shabastari, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Could you please describe a little bit more about your background and involvement with Nabib and your experience with AI tools and applications? I'm a biomedical engineer by training, and then uh, what I do at the NABIB uh, is manage a division of health informatics technology, and also I'm a director for the National Centers of the Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering. These are national technology centers that are 15 years projects, and they do dissemination, training, and other aspects. Gotcha. And NABIB... They currently have 27 centers that you are currently, I guess, in charge with, and some are concentrated on artificial intelligence. Could you describe a bit about what the centers are and do before we get into how AI is involved? The centers is a biotechnology center. Basically, their technology development, their foundation is three to five technology research and development projects. And these projects are supposed to be unique. And they have to be synergized between each other. And the leader of this project is supposed to be a pioneer in the field and well-known in the community. And they do offer different technology that NIPIB involved with. And each one of the centers, there's no overlap. They offer different technology in the biomedical imaging, bioengineering, and bioinformatics that NIPIB is mission offers that. And what these centers do is they have a tools and technology that they offer this to the community, mostly the scientific community that they are funded by different organizations, including NIH. And they offer the tools for them to use. There are two groups of the partners. One are the collaborative projects that they do take these tools and utilize them. Also, they will provide feedback and push the center for new technology development. The other ones are the service projects that basically they take advantage of the tools and technology and the methods that the centers develop. And on top of that, the center provides training 
it provides dissemination, it does uh, a licensing and spin-off, so it helps the community. And all of the centers that I'm talking about, they are supposed to have a national impact. The scientific group, they cover about 39 states. The centers currently about in 13 states and 22 different organizations. All the centers, they support 200 organizations and over 600 scientists. So it has a huge impact all over the United States, also internationally. There are many technologies within Nibib's mission, but where exactly does artificial intelligence come into play? And could you provide some examples of AI applications that have passed through these centers that can be applied to broad public health needs? AI is in everyday's life of everyone these days. We use it in a grocery store and in our driving and every place. And it applies to all of the technology that's offered in the healthcare. Some of the centers, they do utilize those technology. I'm going to use some example from the center. One of the centers is the Center for Advanced Imaging Innovation and Research that called CLEAR or, or the CARE, sorry. And that is in a New York University. What it does, it pursues a mission of bringing people together to create new ways of seeing. And what this center does is because of the imagining the future of his scanning, basically the intelligent image acquisition, reconstruction, analysis, and interpolation of the biomedical images. And also is looking at on chaining the scanners for the future and combining the multi-modal imaging like MRI, PET, ultrasound, and dealing with the biophysical modeling and validation for the discovery of and the clinical care. And what this center does is, uh, I'm talking about this center because it uses uh, AI a lot. It's typically, people think of AI, that is, you get these images out of the scan and you find the imperfection and do a diagnostic or analysis from there. But that is not the only thing AI does. AI also helps to create those images it does it faster, and that is one of the areas that this center at New York is using it. A researcher at the NYU using the AI to convert the raw data coming off the scanner to a better and faster images that we could never have before. In other words, learning the transformation from the raw data to the images. And if you imagine that we have the network or the AI that is getting the data and creating an image, and we have another neural network or the AI application that is analyzing those images and coming with the diagnostic or finding the imperfection. Why do we need the image in the middle? Why can't we go directly from data to the analysis and diagnostic? So that is what they're trying to do. And what this results, it results to the much faster image and creating the fasting MRI of using the artificial intelligence is they discovered that is as, as effective and uh, as just a traditional MRI and is basically simply interchangeable. So you, they don't lose anything, only is it faster. What does the fast imaging will gain? The fast imaging will accelerate the MRI examination by a factor of a 10. And imagine doing that so you are less time under the MRI. And that is a, one of the big challenge of being able to stay for one hour to get a scan. The other thing is that it's going to do, you're going to be able to do more. So the cost is going to come down because you're going to be doing more images. And in some cases, you can replace it with a CT scan that it has a dose and MRI. It has no side effect and no dose involved in that. So it really is good to be able to improve the data. And even if they not improve that in future, not having a 
data and just come up with a new scanner that going to not how many images going directly from the data to the conclusion then or the analysis, then it's going to be again much faster. The same as any other stream of data that is from coming from the different sensor and a, our brain can easily adopt those. Hopefully, future machine can do that. Another advantage of that is that they can combine this data with the PET data, with the ultrasound, with optical imaging, with CT. So there's no limitation. Suddenly you have AI, it gives you opportunity of dealing with a huge amount of the data, and then you're going to get much more accurate results. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there are endless possibilities for artificial intelligence, especially for, like you said, MRI scans or just magnetic resonance imaging. Could you actually talk about the health impact for patients when it comes to getting faster results? I mean, it definitely helps the doctors, but how could this support patients as well? At MRI, it helps in many ways because if you have done any MRI, you know that it takes a long time and it's very uncomfortable and noisy in there being able to be steady for a 30 minutes, 60 minutes is especially if you have a pain, if you, you have a disease, is not simple. So uh, if they can do this faster, so you're gonna be spending less time under the machine. That is not comfortable. Usually they put a headphone, still with all, you all hear the noise and it's very stressful. Some people, they cannot even complete it in a one scan. And then the motion between this long time, it becomes a problem. So that is one advantage. The other thing is that it's not only that one. For example, in CT, that they can reduce the dose that by 25% and get the same quality of the images. And that is major impact of getting the same images by 25% of the dose that is not good for the body. I wanted to ask if there were other centers that use AI because you did mention the care center with NYU and its partnership there? Yeah, this was the NYU. The one I was talking about, it was the care center at NYU that is doing this. There is other centers. I have another center. Actually, this is one of the centers I manage myself. It's a center for biomedical OCT, that is optical coherence tomography research and translation. This is at Mass General Hospital. And the OCT, or optical coherence tomography, is an imaging technique that uses low coherence light to capture the micrometer resolution. The advantage is that this is portable and it can go to one to two millimeter below the surface in the biological tissue. So the, what the, this center does, they have developed the first endoscopic and intravascular optical coherence tomography instrument and conducted a clinical study and reproduced six unique medical imaging products that are not available to the public. Two is for the ophthalmology, and if you go to eye exam, you will see some of this OCT equipment in the eye doctors. And three for gastrointestinal endoscopy, and one for intracoronary imaging. These are all portable small devices that they go to the endoscopy, and they will take images from internally and from your eyes and other things. So the center continues to push in the technology frontier for instrumentation. These are basically, as I said, portable point-of-care instrumentation, and they develop high-resolution, high-speed imaging too. And what they do mostly, they look at the properties of a tissue, and they can also guide surgical intervention because they are small and portable. 
all of these devices, they do use AI as an analysis tool and is a vital to have in an application. AI is a basically fast computational tool. Any place you need to do computation, you're going to end up using AI one way or other. You know, there are also ways that we discussed that AI is also being used in ways to fight COVID-19. So how exactly are AI tools being used in the diagnosis, detection, prevention, and treatment of the virus? For the COVID-19, one of the reasons for the AI is the, all the number of the data that are available. So when you have more data, you need more processing, then you need the AI to do a faster job. Also, to be able to look at the patterns and find the, the classify that the, one of the major part of AI is to classify the discrepancy and imperfection within the, all the images, that what is different from one image or to the other image or from one data to other data. With the COVID, what they do, there's a different way of using it. Uh, what is a major part of the diagnostic for the COVID at this time is a chest X-ray, ultrasound, and CT. So is a, what they do, get the information from a chest X-ray or CT and analyze those to be able to detect if there's a COVID or not. And this has in two different ways. With a chest X-ray, they look at to see they train to see how the differences are, that if they can detect it. And in many places, whatever the human does or doctor is looking at the chest X-ray and doing it, it's going to do it faster and repeatable and it's not going to get tired. It's another thing that it's going to do. But uh, they have to, some of the research they're using with the COVID is combining this data, the information from, have a project that they get the information from your uh, Sensor, I mean, basically the information, they get the three set of information. They get information demographic from age and sex information they have from the patient. They have a blood test, like a white blood count and other tests. They have also the visual vital signals, like temperature and oxygen level and other ones. Also, they do take a chest X-ray and they try to get the information, extract information from chest X-ray. In addition, they get a CT scan and they get the two levels of information. One is that volume and position of the lung and the other one is texture and shape of what they see inside the images. And they combine all of this through to the AI, actually with the, some of the additional information they get with this age and other things is that if you have any issue, that you have a cardiac problem, you had a heart attack, you have a pacemaker. So you combine all this information and then they would decide that if you are a high risk or low risk, basically, after getting all these images, combine it with the AI, and they tell you, you have to go to ICU right now, or you can go home and just rest at home for two weeks. That's uh, one of the major problems with COVID that the AI does. Again, is it is too much data to crunch at the same time, the same as when I was talking, combination of MRI and PET and CT. These are too much data in that one didn't have time to mention that how important those become with the combination of all those data. They can look at the volume of a cardiac. They can detect the cardiac motion as well as the respiratory motion and combine all of those to be able to in three, uh, in three view, multiple view, any angle they want to look at it, to freeze it any place. It's like a movie that they look at it and analyze it that way. All of this comes about the availability of the data and working from the data. 
So it's the same with the COVID and the other one is uh, application of the COVID that I have is using a, basically getting the, collecting this data from a CT and chest X-ray for the COVID cases. They combine this to a virtual phantom or the basically a virtual human that it has in the computer and they create a human uh, visually that it has all of those information that is coming from the chest X-ray of the positive and negative. And what they do, they create kind of a gold or the standard model and they try to use different protocol to analyze that model. These are all within the computer. They analyze that model based on the different shape of the virus and the other information. And they come, what is the best protocol to use to detect the COVID in here? And in that sense, then they decide how much dose they want to use, how long they have to scan, how they have to set up the system. And they come out, this is something that has been done at the Duke University, and they come out with a model of a scanning. So they recommend if you go today, if somebody is using their application, is not yet there is a research stage, but the application would recommend how to set up your system, how to scan this person to get the best images that you can detect the COVID. And also the application identifies if it's uh, the COVID from those information. And the idea is that they will have a, again, it's not in the market, it's a research application. The idea is that they have a application that is in the computer. And if you go someplace and they take your chest X-ray, they upload it to the system. And this system will tell you that what's the chance of you having a COVID or you don't have COVID. What are the challenges, I guess, with doing CT scans for COVID patients? The problem with the CT is that when you take you over there, take a scan, you are, first of all, this disadvantage of CT is a dose. You cannot just scan somebody three times for the COVID with the CT because you are applying too much dose that is maybe dangerous. So the other challenges that is uh, with the CT that they try to stay away from it, that each time you prepare a patient and take it to the room, you're already infecting the system. And it will take, after the person gets moved up, it takes at least an hour to disinfect that. And so if you have, uh, in an emergency room, you have a CT scanner and there's 20 people waiting there, you cannot do that. You don't have time to use them. And it's not just disinfecting because as there's air flows. So it will, uh, within the CT scan room, then it's going to be, the room has to be disinfected and all part. What they have done actually, NIH Clinical Center has worked on it. Uh, this one has been published. They have a disposable isolation bag for reduction of contamination with imaging. Basically, they put you in a plastic bag and there's air inside so that they put blow air in there. You can breathe. So they put you under the CT scan and they scan you. And when you come out, they take the, it's just like a jacket, they take it out and dispose it. GE uh, companies was planning to make a kind of a bed like that, that you, they put you inside of a enclosure and scan you inside that. But even that one is complicated is uh, because it's not, it's going to be not as simple. And right now, I think CT, uh, I mean, GE is planning to have a vertical CT for future, like the one you have, we have in the airport. Basically, you go inside and stand up and they will scan you. And then 
What's the advantage of vertical CT is that after they scan you in that box, then they can use a UV to disinfect it very fast. These are all creative idea and innovation is coming from the COVID. But the, the disadvantage of CT is that it, even though it's one of the best for the COVID is contamination and being able to reuse that machine. Today, I touch up another application that I have. And this is from, if I hope is a research application. I hope it's successful. So far, they have good data. And this one is using basically breathing. Uh, so you have a slice, you breathe at it, and they put it under microscope, and they can determine that if you have a COVID or not in less than two minutes. And I really hoping that this will be successful because at this time, in the first try in the lab, they have tried it and they have checked four different viruses, uh, adeno and COVID, influenza and Zika. And we can identify between these four different viruses that this is COVID with a high accuracy, but this was in the limited number. And mm -hmm. if this is successful at this time, they, you blow that slide, they put it under microscope and look at it. And even that is useful because they, you can have a microscope in maybe clinical center or in a ER to do it. But his goal of this application, and this is from the University of uh, Illinois, his goal is if this is successful, to be able to make this portable. And if it's successful, it would be uh, like uh, the same as what the, our police uses to test your alcohol level. Basically, they, somebody would hand you something, you blow at it, and it tells you if you have a COVID or not. I hope that happens. We should mention another example of, we have a center that is, is a national center for image-guided therapy and basically uses all kind of image-guided therapy resources for the image-guided combined surgeon, interventional radiologists, physicists, computer scientists. And this center has an app that is a basically AI-based online calculator for the prediction of a survivor in a glioblastoma patient that uh, basically they, you go online, you put the information on the app and will give you the rate of your survival and uses classical uh, statistical and machine learning techniques. And then there's a lot of similar app uh, or the AI work for modeling the type publication in Alzheimer's disease using deep learning. This is a, one of other centers it does that. Or, uh, looking at the tumor growth target volume uh, segmentation and guidance in the radiation oncology. Basically, the AI can be powerful to improve the radiotherapy treatment planning, which consists in delineating the tumor region. Basically, it keep identifies the tumor region that you are getting the radiotherapy, and then you can you do a consistent uh, therapy. There's, again, other tool would be the same center is doing this is the center of a molecular imaging technology and translation and that is at mass general hospital as well and what it does is a another ai application they do is a, a rapid mri mapping using ai it's a valuable tool for tissue characterization and for a variety of diseases in brain heart and body so the neural network trains themselves to analyze uh, visual images and to extract essential parameter that is being used for that map for characterizing the tissue. 
It sounds like there are a lot of cool projects going on and programs. I guess my final question would be, is there anything that you are particularly excited about seeing or that you've seen your agency is currently working on or that you know, has already come out of the centers or the Division of Health Informatics Technologies that you'd like to highlight? One of the exciting futuristic work is called Personalized Digital Twin, which basically will be a digital version or digital physical model of us created by high-resolution medical images from our individual CT and MRI scan. The digital model of the person would include all the anatomical and functional information, as well as the detailed medical and disease information about that person. The twin can provide detailed medical information about us. It can be used to understand what happens to our body. Scientists can use them to run simulation to optimize their diagnostic methods and to determine what is safer and effective treatment for each person before applying it to them. It can be used potentially for monitoring and understanding the side effects of the drug and the treatments. Although we may be a long way having the digital twin, currently there are research projects funded by NIPIP within the Division of Health Informatics Technology in such direction. One of them is creation of a platform for virtual clinical trials that are being used in several major research organizations. The platform includes three components. One is the computational or virtual patient that are used as imaging phantoms, a virtual imaging system instead of an actual imaging machine. And finally, the task-based assessment by virtual clinician, which is mainly the use of AI methods. Visual patient or visual phantom that I have briefly mentioned earlier are generated by computer from actual scan that provide the model of the subject's anatomy and physiology. The visual patients are built from vast number of the subject to cover all the possible combination of gender, age, height, weight that are seen in the clinic. The population also include other information such as models for the patient's cardiac and respiratory motion, blood flow, contrast perfusion, lesions, abnormality, as well as the organ shape. These visual phantoms or patient will be scanned with a virtual imaging system, which will be optimized for the best imaging and diagnostic results. And then artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithm will be used as a virtual observer for analysis, detection, and diagnostics of the patient. One of the advantage of VCT or virtual clinical trial is eliminating the use of real people in research studies that are aimed for evaluating medical, surgical, and behavioral intervention. As a result, limiting the human interaction with unnecessary drug or radiation dose. This is very similar concept to the digital twin, is using the virtual patient instead of the real patient for the trial purposes. In summary, the virtual platform can be used to see what technology or methodology will be the most effective for diagnostic of treatment of a a specific condition and potentially we can use it for design of the biological models to see drug responses or treatment responses. Virtual imaging trial offers an efficient means of evaluating emerging imaging concepts and technologies via simulation with no human subject and no clinician involvement. 
complementing or minimizing a traditional clinical trial. It sounds sort of like we're removed from the simulation. <laughs> it's like the Sims, if you had your own Sim, but it's also not like the virtual phantom is a voodoo doll of any sort. So nothing negative happens to you while you actually get to see the results of a medication or treatment without experiencing any of the awful side effects or be exposed to any toxins or radiation and chemicals, that sort of stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, even in the case of having a tumor such as breast cancer, the tumor can be easily added and duplicated in the virtual phantom for design of appropriate and safer protocol for radiation therapy and treating the tumors. I also have mentioned earlier that the scientists have applied the technology to create a virtual COVID patient from positive and negative COVID imaging cases in both chest X-ray and CT using the COVID-related features and have designed the optimized COVID protocol for CT imaging setup and the AI algorithm for high-sensitivity detection of COVID patients at low dose. We should note that in all of the projects that I have highlighted and during my talk, AI plays a major role, and even it was used for creating the large library of the diverse visual patients. I believe the future of healthcare lies in a dynamic data and digital health, and hopefully we will all have a digital twin soon to help us to design and implement a personalized and more effective healthcare. Thanks so much, Dr. Shavastari, for joining me for this episode to talk more about the breakthroughs in biotechnology applications and using AI. Thank you for the time and uh, invite. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.